chapter 1. It's in the Old Testament. <coughs> Excuse me. Haggai chapter number 1. And uh, it being Father's Day, uh, there are sometimes throughout the year that cause us to kind of reflect a little bit and kind of do some introspection, if you will, to kind of see how things are going in our lives. And I believe Father's Day is one of those days, just by nature of what it is, the fact that we're fathers and um, the fact that as a father, you often wonder, am I, am I doing okay as a father? <laughs> It'd be good if God would give us a trial run at fatherhood, wouldn't it? And let us find all the things we did wrong and go back and do them right the second time. But unfortunately, he gives us one shot at it. And uh, from time to time, we need to stop and evaluate some things. And <clears throat> I believe that holds true in a Christian's life. That there are times we need to stop and kind of evaluate and see where we are. Because the truth is, while we may be sincere on some things, there are times that we can still be wrong on them. And we want to make sure that we are following after what the Bible says. And as Baptists, one of the great things that we hold to is that our Bible is our sole authority. It's what we hold to. It's what we look for for our faith and our practice. And let me just mention this. If I'm wrong or I say something as your pastor that is contrary to Scripture, which one of us is wrong? I am. The same thing for you. If you believe or hold to something and say something that's contrary to Scripture, which one's wrong? Because God's Word is true. Amen? And we're going to hold to it. Look with me, if you will, in Haggai chapter number 1. In the second year of Darius, the king... In the, in the sixth month, uh, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek the high priest, saying, uh, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, and bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Father, I pray that you would bless the message. Lord, it's no new truth this morning. But by way of remembrance, I pray that you would stir up our pure minds. That you would help us to understand these things and to hold them. And Father, from time to time, we need to be reminded of this and that we need to take some time to align our hearts and our lives alongside of your word and see how they measure up. And Father, our desire is that we will live a life that mirrors and reflects the light of your word. And so, Father, if there's some things that today we need to readdress, some things we need to look at in our own hearts and our lives, I pray that your Holy Spirit will make them very plain and very clear to us. In areas perhaps that we have been in line with Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would use the message today 
to challenge and stir our hearts to be steadfast in them and unmovable and always abounding in them. I pray that you would bless and that your Holy Spirit would do the works in the hearts of men that I cannot do. And Lord, we ask that he would have free reign and free course in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. (coughs) The book of Haggai is written on the heels of Nehemiah and Ezra having rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem uh, after the the Babylonian captivity. And uh, they have laid the foundation of the temple. And then Ezra comes on the scene. He begins to read the word of God and the great revival breaks out in the nation of Israel. If you've never read that account in the second half of the book of Nehemiah, you ought to read it because it's amazing to see uh, when God does a work, how, how that work begins to spread and change hearts. And I've often said that revival is not started in those that are lost. Revival is started in the hearts of God's own people as He stirs us afresh and anew with the Word of God and with the Holy Spirit working and moving as He sees fit. So they pour the foundation, or they have the uh, a foundation of the temple uh, restored, or, and they stop work on it. After the walls are built and the foundation is uh, restored, they stop work on it for a number of years. And everyone begins to work on their own houses and their own places of residence. And this is where we find the nation of Israel during chapter 1 of the book of Haggai. As God comes to Haggai and He says, I want you to go and tell the people, consider your ways... He says, the people say, it is not time for us to build the house of the Lord, but it is time for us to go and build our own sealed houses, our our own homes, and make them nice and livable, and, and the house of God remains untouched. And even though it was destroyed, if you'll take time to read Haggai chapter 2 this afternoon, you'll see how that God says that even though it may not be uh, physically as glorious as the temple that Solomon had built, that the difference is that the glory of God is what makes the temple glorified, the presence of God Himself. And so he comes to the people here by way of Haggai, and in verse number two, uh, verse number three, excuse me, then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, and by the way, any time we see that phrase in Scripture, We better sit up and take notice. This is not Haggai's opinion. This is God speaking to Haggai the prophet. This is not Brother Greg at Keith Heist Baptist Church saying, folks, this is something we ought to do. This is God coming to the nation of Israel in his own words and saying, folks, you need to consider your ways. Why would he do this? Because there was a period of time where the spiritual coldness began to creep in to the hearts of the nation of Israel. Now, understanding the background and where they were coming from and this great revival that took place under Ezra, in just a few short years, we find that the coldness of the hearts of the children of Israel had, had grown such that God felt that He needed to deal with it. And I say that by way of warning to you and I today because the truth is, even though we say, Lord, I love you with all of my heart, And even though we have our devotions every day, there comes a danger in our life of becoming apathetic in the things of God. We go through the motions and we do the work. I was in college, Bible college years ago, and uh, the great emphasis at the time 
was on service, service, service. Get out and knock doors and do the work and do the work and do the work and do the work at all costs. And they drove us hours upon hours upon hours of knocking doors and talking to people uh, about the things of the Lord. And I got home from college after a couple of years of doing this, and there was a godly man in our church staff named Woody Futrell who gave me a tape by a man by the name of Frank Hamrick. And uh, I listened to that one summer when I came home. And I found out that the greatest part of my life was missing. And that was my personal walk with God. I had served and I had labored and I had equated activity with spirituality. And the truth of the matter was I needed to consider my ways. <clears throat> when I was a little kid, <clears throat> I say little, I was a young teenager. My mom got uh, in her mind, we lived down on the coast of Florida on the Atlantic side. My mom got in her mind that she wanted to get some rocks off of the beach and put them on the fireplace in our house. Why we had a fireplace in Florida, I don't know. But we put uh, these rocks, and, and, and I remember as a teenager uh, in the evening time when my dad would get home, uh, they, my, my, my mom and my sister and my would begin working on my dad and say, uh, let's go to the beach and pick up some rocks. And I, as the teenage son, would say, no, Dad, please, let's not. And the reason was they'd say, why? It's fun. And it was for them because they would pick up the rocks and drop them in the five-gallon buckets. And then I, the, the mule, had to carry the five-gallon buckets up the beach sand. And if you ever walked in beach sand, it's not very fun. And you had to walk about a half a mile to get to the car and dump them in there. And it was not fun for me. But I remember going there one time, and I had begged my dad not to go. And finally he said, no, we're going to go. And as we get to the beach, I'll never forget the place where we went to go pick them up. There was a secluded area. Nobody was around. And, and as we drove up, there was a little dirt road uh, going out onto the beach. And I said, Dad, can you get as close to the beach as you can so I don't have to carry those rocks very far? He said, sure, I'll get a little bit closer. And so he got a lot closer and not realizing that, we were going to have several hundred pounds of rocks in the back of it when we were done in that sugar sand down there. And uh, it got to be about dusk time, and it was time to leave. And we got in our station wagon, and Dad put it in gear, and we moved about seven feet and then came to a stop. And the wheels didn't, but the car did. And it just sat there and spun and spun and spun. So we get out, and Dad tries to get some driftwood and put under the tires and we try to do and back and forth and back and forth. And for about an hour, my dad is frustrated. It's hot. It's muggy. And mosquitoes were coming out. And he was getting frustrated. You know how, how dads do sometimes when you got a little young, you know, 12-year-old boy, 11-year-old boy that thinks he knows better than dad. And, da and the boy's sitting there yapping, Dad, if you'll just, if you'll just, if you'll just. And dad's like, Son, I don't want to hear it. I'm trying to get the car out. And um, I remember him going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And he had tried about everything we could. There were no cell phones out there at the time. And um, he made a comment to my mom. He said, we're stuck in the ruts. There's a comment he made. My 12-year-old brain went to work. And I thought, if we're stuck in the ruts, the solution is easy. Dig new ruts. So I told my mom, I said, Mom, if you'll just dig some new ruts, we can drive right out of here. He's like, no. She's like, no, Greg, just be quiet. He's frustrated. And I said, Dad, if you'll just dig new. No, son, be quiet. I couldn't get the sentence out of my mouth. 
And after about another 20 or 30 minutes about it, she said, Honey, what Greg is saying makes some sense. Maybe we ought to try it. He said, What is it, Greg? And I said, Dad, if it's stuck in the ruts, let's dig some new ruts. He thought about that for me. He's like, Hmm, okay. So we took some boards and we scooped some new ruts. And we drove that car right out of there. I pat myself on the back. That story gets better every time I tell it. Because I was 12 years old at the time. I'll never forget that. But as I grew up in life, especially in my spiritual life, it made some sense to me because there are times in our Christian life that we get stuck. And, and, and it's not that it's bad and it's not that it's in wrong, but, we, but we're just not moving anywhere. We're not growing. We're not, we're not doing more for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there comes some times, and, and the nation of Israel, they, they weren't doing anything terribly wrong here. They, they just had gotten stuck and lethargic in the path that they were in, and they were stuck in some ruts, and God just needed them to consider their ways. Stop for a minute and think about where are you at and where are you going in the Christian life. Consider your ways. Verse number 6, he says, You have sown much and bring in, ye eat, but ye have not enough, ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. <coughs> and he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that the wheels were spinning in the spiritual life? You labor, you labor, you labor, and no fruit, no fruit, no fruit. You ever get to the point where you just feel like I, my, my devotion time, I, I'm still doing it every day. I'm just not getting that much out of it anymore. You ever been there? I've been there. That's that's nothing new. What happens? We need to consider our ways. It's not about having devotions. It's about being devoted. It's not about serving. It's about loving God with all of our hearts. So one of the things we've got to learn is to consider our ways. You know, the greatest thing in the Christian life is not soul winning. The greatest thing in the Christian life is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. And you want to know something? This is, this is the amazing thing. If we're ever able to accomplish the greatest commandment in Scripture, we'll do all the soul winning God ever wants us to do. It's, I think we look at it backwards. We get the idea that, boy, I need to be a soul winner. I need to serve God. I need to, no, no, I need to love God. That'll take care of itself. You say, Brother Greg, how do you know that? Because he says in Matthew chapter number 6, but seek ye first soul winning. Is that what it says? But seek ye first bus ministry. But seek ye first Sunday schools. Choir. That must be it. No, no, no. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you one of the hardest lessons i had to learn as a young man was my personal walk with god was paramount everything else paled in comparison and when that got right it was amazing i no longer went and knocked on doors because i had to or because i was afraid somebody might think ill of me if i didn't I started knocking on doors and telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ because I was so excited to do it. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Secondly, I want us to look in, if you will, in 2 Chronicles chapter number 7, a very familiar passage of Scripture. 
Again, no new truth, just something that is by way of remembrance to stir up our, our minds. Second Chronicles chapter number 7. There comes times in our lives where we need to stop and take inventory and consider our ways. By the way, let me just mention this in passing about Haggai chapter 1 when the Bible talks about his house lying waste. Where is, where is God's house today? Is it at 3479 Frontier Road? No. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Where does the Holy Spirit of God live today? Right here. That's got to be taken care of first. That's the priority. My heart. My walk with Him must be paramount. Secondly, if you will, look with me in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. If my people... Well, if you're saved today, that would include you. I know He's speaking here to the nation of Israel. The Bible teaches quite clearly that when we get saved, we become the sons of God. Amen. Aren't you glad you're adopted into God's family? All the rights and privileges. We are heirs and joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ today. What an amazing thing for us to sit back in our pews on a Sunday morning and sing, I'm a child of the King, a child of the King. With Jesus my Savior, I'm a child of the King. We can sing that with all of our hearts, can't we? If my people, who's he speaking of here? His children. If my people, which are called by my name, shall... What's the next word here? Humble. And by the way, let me just say this. One of the hardest battles we face in the Christian life is the battle of pride. When I was in college, one of the <coughs> professors at college had us do um, a, a semester-long project. And he had every, it didn't matter what class he was teaching, he had every class do it. And the project was this, we were to take the scriptures and we were to find every occurrence of the word proud, pride, haughty, or vaunting, anything that dealt with the subject of pride. And we were to write the verse in a notebook, and we were to write one or two sentences about every single verse that we found on the issue. At the end of the semester, we turned him in, and I can still see him sitting there on the edge of his desk, and all these notebooks are piled up. And he sat there, and he said, Now what did you learn from the project? And one or two fellows raised their hand and said, Well, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall, one said. And he said, that's, that's true, but that's not the lesson we learned. Another one raised his hand and brought up another verse and said, I think it's teaching this. And he said, well, that certainly is biblical, but that's not the lesson that we're learning. And he went through three or four men like that. And I, at first I was going to raise my hand, and then I started realizing I, I'm probably not going to have the answer either. So I didn't even raise my hand. And after it was all said and done, everybody had kind of given their two cents on what the, what the lesson of the project was. He made a statement that I'll never forget. He said, what I wanted you to learn from this lesson is that every sin has its root in pride. I sat there as a 19-year-old kid. You know how smart you are when you're in college, right? Smarter than the professor. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I can think of some sins. And I started thinking of some. 
And sure enough, as I thought it through, I thought, no, I can see pride in that one. I can see pride in that. Oh, yeah, there's, I can see pride there too. And you know he was right. That every sin that you and I commit has its root in pride. I was listening to a good friend of mine who's a pastor friend down in Tampa, Florida. He was preaching at a men's meeting we were at. And he made this statement. He said, no one falls into sin. We know what we're doing when we do it. He said, we rebelliously plunge headlong into it by choice. That's pride. That's saying, God, I know what your word says, but I really don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. Pride. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, <clears throat> then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Not only should we consider our ways, but folks, we must learn when God begins to bring some things to light in our lives, and He will, that we are willing to confess what we have done and say, Lord, help me. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 139. Psalm 139, I wasn't going to use this, but I think we will today. <clears throat> Psalm 139, verse number 23. <laughs> I want us to read, actually, let's read the first two verses. I'm going to take, take time to read the entire passage. Well, man, we, we probably ought to. If you get time this afternoon, would you read Psalm 139 for me? In fact, let me just say, even if you don't have time, would you make the time to read Psalm 139? Look what the first two verses say, and then we're going to read the last two verses. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Now, those are some pretty convicting words. Because the greatest sins that we as Christians have are sins of the mind. Sins that we don't think anybody sees. Sins we do when everybody else is not around. But can I tell you this? God knows our hearts, doesn't He? And the psalmist of all people says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. No wonder Paul said he had to bring his thoughts into captivity every day. No wonder Paul said he had to buffet his body daily. Oh, that we would be men and women who long for God to have His way in our lives so much that we pray as the psalmist does here at the end of this particular psalm, Search me, O God, in verse 23, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Can I tell you, this is a prayer that we ought to pray on a regular basis. It ought to be something that, be honest, when we face the spiritual battles that we face really every day, it ought to be a prayer we pray several times a day. Lord, search my heart. 
I might be able to fool people in our church. I might be able to fool my friends. I might be able to fool my family and my relatives into thinking that I'm something that I'm not. But Lord, I know you see it. And I want you to search me. I want you to see if there be any wicked way. And then, I, Lord, I want you to put your finger on it. And I want, you to, I want you to show it to me. Because my heart's desire is to get it right. We need to consider our ways. We need to confess when we've done wrong. And lastly, I want you to look with me in Romans chapter number 12, if you will. Romans chapter number 12. I wish I had another whole message to just preach on verses 1 and 2. <coughs> Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... and." I've mentioned this several times in places where I have preached. That when Paul makes mention of the idea of beseeching by the mercies of God, he's doing more than just saying, if you get around to it, Brother Keith's got round to it ministries. And when you get around to it, if you think about it, if you think about it, would you maybe consider this? Paul is not doing it that way. Paul's approach to this is, is something that is so deeply moving to him that he says, when I consider what God has done for me and His mercy given to me, and he says, when I think about it and I meditate on the fact that the mercy that God has given to you, he says, on those grounds I am beseeching you because of what God has done For you, I implore you, I beseech you, I with strong emotion am asking this, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your, what? Reasonable, not extraordinary. You're not some great grand Christian for giving your body a sacrifice unto the Lord. You're not one to be patted on the back and told how great of a ministry and how well God is using you simply for being a living sacrifice. That's just what a Christian is supposed to do. It's reasonable. It's the normal. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I was talking to a friend of mine, Dick Snook, years ago, and we were discussing this passage. And he said, Brother Greg, you know one of the problems with a living sacrifice is that it keeps climbing down off of the altar. And that's really the truth, isn't it? We love God with so much of our hearts. We don't want to fail Him, but we do. We find ourselves on a regular basis climbing down off of that altar. Needing to say, Lord, I want to put myself up there again. I give you all of it. I want to take my hands off my life and let you have every part of it. 
And be not conformed to this world, he says. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What's he saying? He's saying we need to take our will and give it to the Lord and say it's yours. The things that I want, the things that I love, my affections in this life, to take my will and bring it into subjection of Him. To take the things I want to do in my life, in my body, and renew the mind and say, Lord, I don't want what I want. I want what You want for me. To consecrate our will. To give it to Him. You know, the, the secret of the victorious Christian life are you ready? It's real simple. It's very hard, but it's very simple. The psalmist said it best when he said, Oh, that my ways were thy ways. That's it. You want to have victory in your life over sin? You want to have victory and live a victorious life? Bring your ways into subjection to God's ways. It's a simple thought, isn't it? Isn't that so simple? In fact, if I could teach people how to be saved and how to take their ways and make them God's ways, I'd be out of a job. But the truth is we battle it every day, don't we? It's something that we bring (laughs) over and over again, it seems like, we bring our will into the mix. I was talking with somebody the other day about George Mueller. I think I mentioned him Wednesday night, perhaps, at church. The great prayer warrior, George Mueller, who started orphanages in England. I was telling somebody just the other day about how miraculously he prayed and God supplied buildings and funds to get the orphanage, the very first one he ever built. The day of the grand opening came, and boy, just miracle after miracle had happened for them to have this orphanage. They opened the doors and... Not one kid came that day. I think the orphanage slept about 150 kids or so. And George Mueller went to bed that night and he's like, Lord, I don't understand. You've met all of the needs. You've led me to do this. And yet there were no kids today. And all of a sudden the thought struck him. He said, I have prayed for everything, but I did not pray for the kids. That night he got on his knees before the Lord and he said, Lord, would you send who you want us to have and help? And the next day, 150 beds were filled with young people that came through the doors of that place. One of the great secrets to George Mueller's prayer life, if you ever take time to read his, he had a a list of principles that he followed in praying. I remember as a young man reading this and he He made this statement. He said, I never come to God in prayer until I have no will of my own. But what an amazing way to pray. To say, Lord, here's the need. And it's yours to do whatever you see fit. And I will be content with the answer. Because I have no will of my own. Paul found himself there, didn't he? 
He said, I'm in a strait betwixt two. He said, I have a desire to depart, which would be far better. They said, it's needful for me to stay for your sakes. He had no will of his own. Whatever God chose to do, whether God took him by death or whether God left him alive to continue serving and laboring for him, Paul said, it's fine. I have no will of my own. It would help us in our Christian lives if we could learn these principles. Just three simple ones. And nothing new. We all know them, don't we? Consider our ways. Confess when we've done wrong. And we need to consecrate our will. Just give it to Him. (laughs) I've often thought how little God needs us and yet He chooses to use us. And I'm thankful for that, aren't you? He could have used anything He created to do His work. But He chooses to use you and I. What an honor that is. You know, some labor, some plant, some water, Paul said. But God gives the increase. And can I tell you this? When we give it to God... His increase is always far better than ours. It's always far better than ours. Are we consecrated to Him today? If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, can I tell you this? God sure loves you. He loves you so much that He sent His only Son to die on the cross. I heard somebody say years ago, I don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. And I agree with that statement. I think a loving God would do everything he could short of forcing man to accept him. Even if it meant sending his own son to die in their place, I think God would have done everything he could. And by the way, that's just what he did. He did everything he could to make a way of escape for you. It's your choice. He's not going to force you. But if you're here today and you don't know if you were to die right now, you'd go to heaven. You can know that. The Bible teaches it very clear how we can know for sure that we're on our way to heaven. And I would encourage you during the invitation time to come forward and let us take the Bible and show you how to be saved. I promise you we won't embarrass you. In fact, heads will be bowed, eyes will be closed, and most people won't even know you've come forward. But we'd sure love the opportunity to show you how you can be saved today. For Christians that are there, maybe, maybe there's some need for us to consider our ways today. Maybe there's some things we need to say, Lord, I need, I need to come back to you. The gas tank's about empty. I've been laboring and, and putting it into a, a bag with holes. I need to consider some things. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we're thankful for your word. Lord, the message today is for every person in this room. All of us, from myself all the way through the the, the youngest person in this room to the oldest person of this room, we all are in need of the truth of this morning's message. Because the truth is, Lord, we all need to consider our ways. We all need to come to a point where we realize that maybe we have grown cold or maybe we have just about burned out. Maybe we have struggled. We've fought the fight and are weary. Lord, there are times that you 
need to restore our soul. And so, Father, we pray that you'll use the message to be an encouragement and a help. Father, if there is someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, I pray that you would help them to be convicted in their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would stir and cause them to see that need and to respond to the invitation, allow us the opportunity, the privilege to show them how they can be saved today. Bless the invitation. We pray your Holy Spirit will do as he sees fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With heads bowed, please, and eyes closed. We're not going to have anybody looking around, but just as the piano and organ begin to play, if God's spoken to your heart, would you come? If you're here and you're not saved, you say, Brother Greg, I don't know if I died right now. I'd go to heaven. Can I beg you? Please don't leave here lost. Please give us the opportunity to show you how you can be saved today. For Christians that are here, maybe some of us need to come and just rededicate some things. Say, Lord, I, I need to get, get some things squared away again. I've lost some of the zeal. I've lost some of the fire. I've lost some of the encouragement that your Holy Spirit gives to me.